Welcome to Waco Watch, the podcast. I am Duana McCray, and I'm here with Mike Tomasulo and Danielle Williams to talk about the second trial in the VLSI versus Intel case. Now, in this trial, VLSI is seeking over $3 billion in damages from Intel for Intel's alleged infringement of two patents. Today, the parties presented their closing arguments. They were both significantly longer than they were in the first case. Um, starting with VLSI's closing argument, Mike, what did VLSI's close focus on? Yeah, hi, Dewan. I, I thought it was a very similar approach to the last time. I mean, it, it was it was longer. It was a longer close in both the uh, you know the opening session and also the plaintiff does get the last word in Judge Albright's courtroom, so they also had a relatively longer uh, rebuttal close. Overall, very similar in approach to last time. The focus, uh, one, one aspect of it is the focus of the importance of the patent system on American innovation and, you know, uh, kind of cloak yourself in the flag type of approach. Um, that's again something we saw on the last time. As with last time, almost immediately moving to attack alleged credibility issues. So a series of slides where, uh, and we saw this coming and we've been talking about this for several days now, that there, VLSI was going to be attacking supposed inconsistencies in the testimony of Intel's experts. So, for instance, they would say that Intel's experts were offering testimony that was scripted or was um, contradicting Intel's own engineers or Intel's own documents. So that that's again a, it was a heavy theme in the first case, a heavy theme in this case as well. There was an attack on Intel's multi-reference invalidity case. Part of that attack, you know, sort of the VLSI's lawyer went through a lot of the obviousness factors, and there's many. You know, as those of us who practice in this area, you know, the law and obviousness is pretty long and complicated, and so as part of what was done there was going through the jury instructions on obviousness and sort of saying that um, Intel had failed to, to make, make all of the points that's required to build a proper obviousness case with specific reference to the jury instructions. And, and then lastly, again, with reference to the jury instructions, explain, uh, explain VLSI's damages case and why the $3 billion is supposedly, allegedly, somehow a reasonable royalty in this case. And you know, with the, the focus on that was the amount of accused products, uh, 80 million accused products, the supposedly $4 billion in extra profit uh, that Intel generated for itself from the use of these two patents, again, supposedly, allegedly. And then the last part, again, was, again, this reliance on IBM's license to Uniface, which was a 1% royalty per patent, up to 5% for five or more patents. And so, again, as with the last case, there was, you know, the, the argument that VLSI is making is that, you know, Hans Houston from IBM testified that IBM's practices are state-of-the-art and this is a royalty arrangement that is far more generous than what Intel is being asked to pay in this case. So those were some of the main things that, that we saw in VLSI's close. Thank you, Mike. Danielle, what did we see during Intel's closing argument? What did Intel focus on? Intel had a little bit of a different approach to its closing argument for this second trial. Uh, they started out focusing on... VLSI's name-calling, particularly calling Intel's witnesses liars, and said that there wasn't a place for that in this trial. 
And when we looked at all of the witnesses who came to testify in front of the jury, that they all appreciated that it was a significant dollar amount that's being asked for in this case and that they put their hand on the Bible and swore to tell the truth and they should be taken at their word. And to just as a knee-jerk reaction to automatically say Intel's witnesses are biased because their witness would be to suggest that the May brothers are biased because they testified on behalf of VLSI. And, and Intel's approach was to say that that's, that's not the way that the, that the witnesses testified to the jury and that they should be taken at, uh, at their word. Uh, he went on, uh, it, well, Intel in its closing went on to talk about a couple of other parts, um, that I thought was, that I thought was interesting. One, uh, Mr. Lee highlighted how the inventors stayed in the same field, uh, but abandoned these inventions. And so that, that was a different way to describe the absence of use and the absence of utility for, for these patents in a very factual way. Uh, and then he also spent a little bit of time uh, addressing the invalidity points that Mr. Chu made, specifically saying that well, of course, there are a number of references here in our invalidity case. There are over 28,000 patents in this space. And VLSI made the decision to assert 12 claims in this lawsuit So that from that one patent, and so that required a number of references. What I thought was most interesting was the placement of the discussion about who VLSI is. Uh, they, uh, Mr. Lee saved it to the end of his closing. And so he, he just, you know, with the phone, I could just visual, visualize him turning the spotlight over to, to VLSI, but there wasn't anyone to shine the light on because no one from VLSI testified at trial. Uh, so he started from there and went through a litany of descriptions of what VLSI was and what VLSI wasn't, uh, and then drew uh, himself to the conclusion that this kind of behavior is a tax on the patent system that he believes uh, is, is so wonderful about uh, the United States and the system that we have here. And that is the way he wrapped up with the uh, with focusing on VLSI and talking about how terrific our patent system is. I will say, I think that last part about the tax on the patent system invited, uh, invited uh, VLSI to address it in their close, in their final closing uh, argument, and uh, sort of uh, suggested there's a parade of horribles uh, if Intel isn't uh, held accountable for its infringement here. They certainly both tried to cloak themselves in the flag. They both tried to make it sound like a victory for, you know, Intel or a victory for VLSI uh, from Intel's perspective, a victory for Intel is a victory for America. And from VLSI's perspective, a victory for VLSI is a victory for America. Um, I agree with you, Danielle. I thought it was, it was a different, a different uh, close from Intel. Um, and you know, w w one aspect of it was I think putting the 
theme that the plaintiff is unworthy of a significant recovery last and, and, and sort of feeding that much more lightly to the jury than in the first case? Uh, I agree with you. Uh, the uh, there were it was more factual in presentation. And as as I've been told before, we don't tell people what's out beside the window. We open it up for them and ask them to look outside. And that was certainly the approach that Mr. Lee took as far as uh, who VLSI is and what they're trying to do in this case. Yeah, 100%. Be interesting to see what happens. Case is now with the jury, so. Yeah, so the case is now with the jury, Mike, and the case went to the jury at about 1 central today. Um, and one thing of note is that there is still no verdict, and that alone makes this case a bit different than the first trial. Um, because in that last trial, in that last case, you could remember that the jury came back within three or four hours. Um, so we'll, we'll, we're interested in seeing what the verdict is. Um, this is a bit different, but tune in next time and we will come back with the verdict. Thanks all. Oh, thank you.